It seems that the longer I live, the more I wonder about God's marvelous grace. Trying to comprehend it in the world in which we live. Why he loves us so that he was willing to give his son, knowing that the majority of the world would not receive that gracious gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And those that would acknowledge God and acknowledge Jesus would also be those that would not or would choose not to listen to his word and all that it has to say. Look in the world that has its own ideas of what's right and wrong and of course, in light of the Bible, I do not agree with them. But it's interesting to hear some of their expressions. <clears throat> Coming up uh, the street here, Texas, there's a building behind us. And they have a marquee out front. And it says on the marquee, Mosquitoes also believe or know the power is in the blood. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking? Uh, I know it's supposed to be a cute saying, if you will, that the power is in the blood. Even mosquitoes know the power is in the blood. Why don't you understand that? But it's a concept that says, you understand the priceless value of the blood of Jesus Christ? We live in a world that has its own concept and chooses not to accept a lot that the Bible has to say. Another thought I find in the world finally interesting, there's a TV program called Parking Wars. And it's interesting. It's, I don't know where it's filmed or who's involved in it. It's just meter maids, basically, who drive around whatever city it is, and they have somebody riding with them. And they stop and give tickets to those who have violated the parking rule. Either it's a void that pops up and they get a ticket and they said, I was just gone 10 feet. Uh, Saw one today is that he got the ticket and he said, I was was just gone for 10 seconds. And the the person says, I know that because I was standing here. He said, well, why didn't you tell me? It's not my job to tell you. Your job is to obey the law. And they fight over that. And it's interesting to see the discussions they get into and in the, in the, gotten in the verbal and physical fights with the, with the meter maid over not wanting to obey the law that is there. And then we do that with God sometime. And God reminds us through Peter in First Peter, the third chapter, and in verse 15. But to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, set him apart in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good 
than for doing evil. They're ready to give that answer. We have a concept that we know from Scripture, Romans 1, verse 20, that the heavens declare that there is a God. Trying to convince a world that there is a God is difficult. And it's hard to go down and to be ready to give that answer for the hope that lies within you when most of those that you encounter have already denied the evidence that is laid before them. Creation itself. Human beings themselves. And we're trying to give an answer for that. Or for those who want to be able to to pick and to choose what parts of the scriptures they would prefer to listen to and what ones they choose to ignore. And it's hard to be able, if you want to, to be wanting to sit down and to reasonably explain for the reason for the hope that lies within you. Because they're not willing or not wanting to hear, and those will hear you for a while until it gets to a point where it may be uncomfortable for them, and then they will choose to do otherwise. Paul, in writing to the Romans in that fifth chapter, reminds us of being justified by faith. We have peace with God through through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified by faith. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. And hearing by the word of God. We're justified. We're made right in the eyes of God if we do his will. And to know that we're not at the point where we can pick and to choose... But to give that reason for the hope that lies within us. The hope that God does exist. The hope that he is consistent in what he does. That's what the universe declares, that he's consistent in what he does. There is design to that universe in which we live. Even those who choose to deny God will acknowledge the evidence of what he's created. Those who launch rockets and those who do a host of different things understand there's an order to it. And if they're going to launch a rocket towards the moon or wherever else they want to launch it towards, they know they have a particular window in which they have to launch. If the time goes before that, it won't reach its destination. If it goes beyond that time frame when they launch, it will not reach its destination. There's a time, there's an element in there. And they understand it, and they can calculate that. And they have to be successful in what they do. And then they want to turn around and not acknowledge that God is there. We're trying to give a reason for the hope that is in us. To the world, it seems foolish. For us to believe in a God whom we have not seen, to believe in a Savior whom we have not seen, and that his blood has been shed for the remission of our sins and it covers the sins of the whole world. And that anyone who will, regardless of where they are, they will acknowledge what Jesus has done. And acknowledge that they are sinners separated from God, 
willing to repent of that, turn to God, confess Him as a Savior, obey Him in baptism, be raised to walk a new life, they can have forgiveness of sins and a hope of eternity. But so many people, and whatever it may be, they want to argue. They want to look at it. And like I say, I used that parking war once. It's, it's just, you look at human beings and you can say, you can see what has happened. And yet they will argue with it. What gets you sometimes is look at some of them. Some of them have had 15, 20 tickets at the same place for doing the same thing. And then they get their car with the boot on it where they cannot drive it away. And they just come unglued. They just ran up and down. Unfair, unfair, unfair. That's not right. And they simply say, obey the law, pay the fine, and you have the boot removed. And they just go away up and down, and, and uh, they have to bleep out a lot of it at times. I'm just saying, these are the people we want to share. I hope that we have. And we have to be able to do it with meekness and, and reverence and respect. But to believe that there's a purpose behind it. There's a purpose for giving a reason for the hope that lies within you, and that's because there is an eternity that is involved. Again, most in the world do not want to acknowledge that, or they want to give their own definition to eternity, or they want to give their own definition of how, where, where one will be eternally is going to be determined. And to them, it's not determined by God. It's determined by them. I've been a good person, basically. I've done good things. And so, therefore, I deserve to have eternity with God. And to give an answer that God's word is the basis for what we do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're bound by what God has said. Paul reminds us in Titus 1 and in verse 2, we have the hope of eternal life from a God who does not lie. It has to be that way. We have to believe God does not lie. If he lied, there's, there's no reason, or there, there's no way for us to determine what's right and what's wrong. If he tells you one thing and then he doesn't do what he says, or he does something else, but he does not lie. Hebrews 6.18 says the same thing. It is impossible for God to lie. And yet I hear of so many in the religious realm who want to deny that. Well, I know that's what it says, but God can do whatever he wants to do. I've heard Christians say that. I've heard Christians say that in the judgment scene, God can do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to save somebody without being baptized for the remission of sins, God can do that because he is God. Whoa. Where did that come from? It comes from living in the world, and it comes from listening to people more than you're listening to the Bible. And you're letting emotions dictate how you want to live your life. Well, I, can't, I cannot believe that God would condemn me to hell for one little sin. That doesn't seem fair. 
and do not realize what the Bible has said. Sin caused Jesus, the Son of God, to die on the cross. And he did not die just for the big sins. Sin is a transgression of God's law. It's doing what God has told you not to do. Well, mine is not as bad as somebody else's. See, that's where the justification tries to come in. And again, that's not listening to God. We're justified by faith in what God has done for us. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace that is greater than our sins. What marvelous grace that is. And that's where we stand, but it's in the grace of God. We do not earn salvation. There's no way that we can. It's by the grace of God that he forgives us through the blood that Jesus shed on that cross. And ours is to be submissive to it. And understand that that's where we stand. We want to be the judge. The individuals all the time want to pick and choose what they want out of the Bible and say, well, I don't like how God dealt with people in the Old Testament, so therefore I'm not going to follow him. I'll set the standard by which I believe God ought to operate. And if God does not operate within that standard, then I'm not following him. So what have we done? We made ourselves God, have we not? I'll be the determining factor. And human beings are not able, capable to do that. doesn't take long to read Job 38 through 42 to find that out. doesn't take long to read Job 38 verses 1, verses 1 and 2. And I said, I always quit there because it's hard to figure that one out. When Job wants to confront God, as you read, have read the book of Job, understand that concept, understand the first part of it, and that's one that blows the mind anyway. God telling Satan, have you considered my servant Job righteous, upright, and hates evil and does what is good? And Job says, let me put him to the test. I'll show you he won't, he won't worship you. Twice, Job 1 and then Job 2, God says, have you considered my servant Job? Does what is right and hates what is evil. Job puts, uh, Satan puts Job to the test. And Job knows that he hasn't done anything wrong and he wants to do as any of us would want to do. I'd like to talk to God about that. What have I done wrong? Isn't that what we think about? Things go wrong in our lives. What have I done wrong? A lot of us have wrestled with that at one time or another. Why is God punishing me for causing this illness on my child? That's not it at all. But oftentimes parents will go through that. So Job wants to question God. And when you get to 38, Job gets his, he gets his opportunity to question God. When God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Tell me if you know. Tell me if you can explain to me if you can explain creation. How it was done how it was designed, what was the purpose for it, 
And why did God do it the way that he did? In setting things into motion. And then it gives a whole list of things that you can try to see if you can find the answer to. Job learned to trust God. I'm not God. And I need to trust him. And through his grace, I'm not fully understanding. His grace is greater than our sin. He forgives, washes, washes away. Hebrews 10, 17 says, There are sins and iniquities I will remember no more, says the Lord. Tremendous concept there. Human beings, we tend to remember them, and we sometimes beat ourselves over the head over past sins. God says, There are sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. The blood of Christ has washed them away, and that's sufficient. They're not brought up again. Marvelous grace. I have that because if I have done the will of God. If I've listened to the first part of what he had to say there, I've been justified by faith. We have this access to faith, uh, through, by faith through this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Do we really rejoice in that hope of glory? How easy is it for us to get caught up in everyday life? How easy is it for us, for us to let the aches and the pains, the, the rise and the fall of whatever it is that we're following, be it the stock market or whatever else it is, how easy is it, is it for us to get caught up into that? The economics, rise and falls of companies up and down the line, the unexpected turns, turnabouts of finances, whatever else is there, and forget to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We understand life here is short. We want to extend it as long as we can. We do our best to extend it as long as we can. But we do understand that one day the physical life will come to an end. And yet we will fuss and be concerned about the physical life and lose perspective of rejoicing in an eternal life with God. And there's no way to fully even begin to comprehend that statement. Eternal life and the presence of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19.1, and the earth shows forth his handiwork. If you have seen through a telescope or on TV, science program, the galaxies, the heavens declare the glory of God. There is a beauty there that is beyond description. The earth shows forth his handiwork. You ever looked at creation? You ever looked at this world that he's created and beheld the beauty of it? Home is Santa Cruz. I love the beach. The beauty that you can watch there and predict the tide, when it comes in, when it goes out, the seashells that are there. 
Within a half hour, I can be in the redwoods and see trees that are about 3,000 years old. The size of them, beyond description. How they stand, tall and straight. I'm just saying, the earth shows forth his handiwork. And with all that I can see the physical, what is it going to be like to be in the eternal presence not in his creation, but in the eternal presence of God. And I'm going to let something down here, something that's trivial, trip me up. And I'm not going to trust God. If God in his time frame has carefully executed the plan of salvation, has laid it out, There's a history behind this, the physical book, as well as the spiritual book as well, but in the physical book, there's a history behind this that is mind-boggling, of how we have the privilege of having this written word of God in a language that we can read and have free access to it. It has not always been the case. There have been those who have desired to make sure that those who spoke English were able to have the Bible in English. And there was such opposition to that that in many cases the Bibles were confiscated and burned. And in a case or two the translator was also burned at the stake just so that we could have the Bible that we could read for ourselves. Do we forget the history that says who we are and what makes it possible? And then again, long time to be with God. And not only that, not only what we have access to, what we're anticipating with the glory of God, being in His presence, we also glory in tribulation. Now, three is is difficult, three and four. Glory and tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You want to have a greater hope? Reread those verses. You reread those verses to see how hope comes. It has a foundation. And oftentimes we need to, in our at times need to or have to do is to reevaluate what we're asking for. I told individuals up and down the line, be careful what you pray for because you may get it. I want a greater trust in God. Is that what you want? 
How do you think a greater trust in God is going to come? Trials and tribulations. They're going to put your, those trials and those tribulations will put your trust, deepen your trust in God. How deep do you believe in God? That he cares for you? He watches over you? He works his will out in your life? He's strengthening you for an eternal life with him. But it does have the persecution, the tribulations, but they produce character. It's easy to do things when there's no opposition. What do we do when the opposition comes? Where do we stand? Where do we stand when we're being taunted? Where do we stand when we're being threatened with whatever it is the government is considering to do for those who believe, are willing to to speak and to say without hesitation the way that many have chosen to live their life is in opposition to the will of God. And unless they repent and change, there is a consequence. And when those who have tried to do that or have done that, they're automatically threatened, hate crimes. How dare you even say that? How can you say that God does not love me and the way I'm living my life right now? One is, if you're saying that, you have not taken the time to know God or to read his word. If you do that, you wouldn't be asking that question. Well, how are you singling out just one? No, we're not singling out one. Every sin is a transgression of the law of God. Every sin needs to be repented of, regardless of what it is. And we need to know the the, the price that God has placed on us. The world knows it, whether they believe it, or well, they do not believe it, but they know the verse, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. They know the verse, but they won't listen to the words of the verse. God gave his son to die for my sins. A free choice on his part and a free choice on Jesus' part gave that gift. But every gift is conditional. There are no unconditional gifts. The condition may not be much. If I offer you a gift and you choose not to accept it, you made, a, you made a response to it. But if I offer a gift, you believe I'm going to give it to you, but you won't take it, you haven't met the condition. There's a gift, but it has a condition. That whoever believes, it's not just believe Jesus, it's understanding what, who Jesus is, what he has done and why he has done it. 
and why, what he's asking from us. There is a reception to be given or to our response to it and for us to be willing to do just that. But there's a condition that God desires and leaves it up to us. Often been said, no, there is no Satan made me do it and there is no God made me do it. There is no irresistible force. As great as Satan is and as great as God is, they will not force you to do anything. It comes from you. That takes away passing the book, doesn't it? Well, I just couldn't resist. I, I, I just had to do that. I was forced into it. No, you were not forced into it. You simply did not like consequences that may have come by your decision. But you were not forced to do it. Again, I've talked to countless people. Why are you here in prison? Why well, I ran with the wrong crowd? So it's not my fault. It was the crowd's fault. They made me do it. No, they did not. You chose. Well, if I didn't do it, they'd kill me. You chose. You made the choice. And sometimes those consequences are serious. But the choice is ours. It's a gift that God has given. It's up to us. Paul will go on in Romans 5 to discuss what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And the thought there as he closes out that reading for this evening. If God so loved us that he gave his son to die for us, how much more do you believe God loves you now that you are a child of his? I mean, the love for those that were in the world that he gave his son to die for, that is a tremendous love. But how much more do you believe he loves you now that you are his child? Don't you believe he cares more for you as his child now that you've turned to him? And what can he, what does he, and what will he do for his children? And why would we resist what God can give? That's the hope, the reason for the hope that lies within us. For we want to share. But before we can share, we have to be convinced that that's what we believe. That we have that assurance of who we are, not because of who we are, but who we are because of what God has done for us. And do we have that hope that displays a joy? Again, how can you not sing a grace that is greater than our sin and not feel a sense of joy? How marvelous his grace is. And why would I resist it? But the choice is ours. The choice is the world's. We try to share that with the world, but that's what they have to, to work with. Ours is to do it with love and patience. 
But again, let them see by the life you live that there is a life that is different, completely different than the life they are living. And if you have a better life, you have a better hope, and you have better promises. How, you, how will you respond to it in the life you live? The invitation, have you been to Jesus? That's the question. You know the answer, if you have or have not. If you've learned about God, you know what he's done for you through Christ. I hope that is laid before you of eternal life one day with him. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Have you accepted his grace he offered through Christ? If not, you need to do that. You need to make a life right with God because of his love for you and the change that it will bring in your life. But if you're subject to that invitation, if we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.